Why, hello there. I'm Megan Tubner, the co-host of the Today is the Day podcast. I'm also the founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. I host the show with my husband, Josh Catalis, who is a functional medicine practitioner and co-instructor at the Academy. Now, the Today is the Day podcast started in 2019 that long already? I think it is. With full-length episodes, what we're doing this season is providing you with mini episodes or short digestible doses taken from the longer ones. These are 10-minute clips of easy-to-apply, practical, solution-based information that you can bring into your life and, you know, make happen because that's where the magic happens. I also wanted to let you know before we get started that registration is soon opening for the 2022 Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. Now, this is a 14-week certification program that transforms lives. At the end of this episode, you'll get to meet one of our graduates. Now, in today's mini clip, we are talking about gluten, the basics, where it is, where it isn't, and how it affects everyone's digestive tract. Not to say everyone is sensitive and everyone needs to avoid it, but it's a good thing for everyone to be aware of. So here is today's clip. Enjoy. Let's start by just taking a step back for a moment and defining what gluten actually is. Right. Because I think this term just gets thrown around way too much and people don't even know what they're talking about. Or where to find it, which we will talk about as well. Right. So gluten is an umbrella term given to many different proteins that fall under that category. Right. And so gliadin is the protein we often hear about most often or most associated with that umbrella term of gluten. That's correct. Yeah. So there's actually hundreds of proteins in, for example, a wheat kernel that we can react to. And a portion of those are glutens. Mm -hmm. And that's often what people will react to most severely. Is the the gluten protein. So we find gluten or gluten proteins in a variety of different grains. However, not as many as most people think. So wheat is the most common one. It's the most dense source. The most dense source, but also, I mean, the most common in our diet. Absolutely. Most widespread. And most people who eat wheat are eating wheat three to five times a day. Basically, you know, toast or a bagel for breakfast, a muffin as a snack, maybe a sandwich or pizza or pasta for lunch, another cracker type snack. And then your dinner might have a bread roll or some kind of grain alongside a wheat containing grain or bread. We've established now that wheat has the highest concentration of gluten proteins, but there's other gluten-containing grains. Do you know what they are? I do, but please enlighten us, Megan. Okay. We have spelt and spelt and kamut, both of which are sort of types of wheat or part of the wheat family. And a lot of people assume these are better versions if they have a gluten sensitivity. Now, they do have lower concentrations of gluten than full-on wheat, but they are gluten-containing. So if you are reacting to gluten, you will react to spelt and kamut. Yeah, when I first learned about gluten and that wheat was the the main culprit of this high amount of gluten, I remember finding a kamut bread in the health food store I was working in and being so excited because it was so delicious. Yeah. Because I didn't even know a lot of this information yet. Right, I know, exactly. And it's like, we went through nutrition school and came out slightly confused That's why we're doing this podcast, because people are so confused. Yeah, well, you know what they say. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. They do say that. (laughs) The other grains. So we've got wheat, spelt, kamut. There's also rye and barley. 
Mm. And so those are the five key gluten-containing grains. However, there's a little asterisk on the oats. Now, oats themselves are not gluten-containing, but are so often processed in the same facilities as gluten that if someone is celiac, and we'll get to the definition of that in a moment, but if someone is extremely reactive to gluten, a gluten contamination in oats would be enough to trigger a response in the body. So if you are buying oats, you want to ensure the package is gluten-free and says certified gluten-free on it. Something else to mention is if you are, again, extremely reactive, you want to avoid buying these grains and the flours that come from gluten-free grains in bulk bins because of that cross-contamination that can happen with those scoops and spoons and stuff in those bulk bins. So just a little side note on this. Well, you've told us the bad news that all those really great grains that we love have tons of gluten. So are there what, what's the good news here? The great news is that there's actually more grains that are gluten-free than that are gluten-containing, which I think a lot of people don't realize. They're just not as common in the North American or Westernized diet. So gluten-free grains include quinoa, all the kinds of rice. So white rice, brown rice, black rice, wild rice. Wild rice isn't even technically a grain, it's a grass. There's teff, there's millet, there's kaniwa, which no one knows about. It's actually not that delicious, but it's like the the little cousin of teff. Buckwheat is another one. And that's a confusing one because it has the word wheat in the name of it. It's actually a seed from the rhubarb plant, but you can have buckwheat raw. Well, not fully raw. You can soak it and dehydrate and have it as a granola. You can also roast the buckwheat and that's what we call kasha, which is very common in Eastern European dishes like a like a kasha noodles, I think it is, where it's buckwheat and... Yeah, my grandmother used to actually make yeah. that dish. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> but I introduced you to buckwheat and now you love it again. You did. You reintroduced it into my life and I'm now a lover. Yes. And and also oats when they're gluten-free. So all of those grains can basically be made into flours, uh, can be cooked with. And additionally, a lot of cooking also requires extra starches. So you can look at things like arrowroot starch, tapioca starch. There's also cassava and cassava flour now available corn and corn flour. I don't use a lot of cornstarch or potato starch just because of the glycemic load of them, but that's a conversation for another day. The point being, there is more food that we can eat that is gluten-free than contains gluten. It just might require a little bit of learning and research and trial and error and adjusting our tastes to be more accustomed to these whole grains that do have a more full-bodied flavor where typically wheat-based foods are just sweet. We're just tasting that starchy endosperm. Now, one question I get asked often is if a bread is sprouted, can or does that take care of the gluten? Does that break it down? And I want to say that it doesn't. It right? doesn't like, I just want to make that very, very clear because I remember when actually back in the day when I was working in the health food store, I had a colleague who was celiac, like very severe celiac. And all of a sudden she wasn't showing up at work for a few weeks. And when she finally came back, I said, hey, what was going on? She said, I, I got really sick because someone told me I could have sprouted bread and I tried it because I was so excited. And it just took me out of commission for weeks. Yeah. Sprouted bread, it, I feel like it's almost one of those fooled by the label health foods. We didn't talk about that in that episode, but it also, that sprouting can make it more digestible, but can also inc increase the glycemic load of that bread, making it faster to absorb those sugars. So it can be a risky one for diabetics or pre-diabetics. Right. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Megan, but 
traditional bread making, when we're looking way, way back, wasn't that uh, like sourdough? Wasn't that the main form of bread making? Yes, they were fermenting it. And Acorn wheat is a wheat that we didn't mention. And a lot of people, and it was made popular in Wheat Belly. He talks a lot about this heritage grain of wheat that people apparently are less reactive to. It's more common in Europe. However, again, it does still contain gluten. The sourdough or the fermentation of breads can increase your digestibility. But since we're about to lead into gluten sensitivities and why they are potentially so much higher now, we're going to learn that even if they are fermented now, if you have a sensitivity, that's not going to resolve the issue. So if a grain contains gluten, no matter what you do to it, ferment it, sprout it. Yeah, those are basically the two other options and just cooking it straight. You will have a gluten reaction. So do you want to sort of move us toward the difference between gluten sensitivity, sort of the allergy component or celiac disease? Because I think that one of the biggest issues or challenges we see is with children having sensitivities and how difficult it is to test for that because we associate always the gluten reaction with something going on in the gut. And so with kids, they go for the standard testing. And again, we're going to talk about the testing as well and don't have full-blown intestinal damage that would diagnose them from a conventional medical standpoint as either celiac or having a gluten sensitivity. So parents will carry on giving their kids gluten, wondering why they're having all these digestive issues or nervous system issues or cognitive issues, not able to pinpoint it because the test came back okay. So take it from here, Josh. That's a great point, Megan. And what's really interesting is that when they first discovered celiac disease, they were looking at symptomatology related to the intestines. Only. Like they were only only looking at the lining of the gut and damage being done to the lining of the gut. Yeah, exactly. So that's what guided the diagnosis and the classification of the disease celiac. But now we know there's this whole other class of issue called non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And this is where the majority of the population who is reacting to gluten this is sort of the the box or category that the majority of people will fall into. Exactly. And they can be having symptoms that have nothing to do with the digestive tract, like brain fog, migraine headaches, whole bunch of different neurological issues, uh, nerve issues, fatigue. Mood, hormonal. Mood, hormonal. Nearly every symptom in the body is related somehow to either the gut or the brain. And gluten can affect either and both. Exactly. The literature has shown cross-reactivity with a whole bunch of different items in gluten-containing grains. And what cross-reactivity is, is when the immune system attacks one of those proteins. But those proteins, remember, we are what we eat. We make our body out of food. So sometimes they look like stuff in the food. And the immune system goes and attacks those proteins in the food. But then, oh, the outside of your thyroid looks like that protein oh, your nerve looks like that protein and your immune system's smart, but not that smart and goes and attacks all of it. That's cross-reactivity. Right. And the other part of cross-reactivity is that other foods can also look like gluten inside your body. And what happens is that people who attempt to eliminate gluten, they'll even eliminate it 100%, but they're not getting the results they want. They're not feeling better. They're not seeing the results. And the reason for this is that cross-reactivity that may not even be the antibodies attacking other parts of the body, but reacting to other things in the diet. So 50% of people who are reactive to the gluten protein are also reactive to proteins in dairy. Now, before I say farewell, 
At the beginning of the show, I told you you'd get to meet one of our esteemed culinary nutrition expert graduates. Here, that person is now for you to get to know. Hi, I'm Jenny Eden Burke, and I'm a 2020 graduate of the Culinary Expert Nutrition Program. From learning how to make fire cider and healing elixirs to fermenting my very first cabbage, deciding to join the Academy of Culinary Nutrition was one of the best decisions I've ever made. And after longingly looking at the program for four years, I finally decided to jump in this past September. Here's what I loved. Megan and Josh are so passionate and knowledgeable and accessible, and I greatly valued their guidance and wisdom. I totally stepped out of my comfort zone in learning how to develop recipes, meal plan from scratch, research medical conditions, and see how the healing constituents of food can ameliorate so many things in our bodies and can help us become healing, resilient powerhouses. I also loved the cooking demonstrations and I loved that I got to develop and run my own cooking workshop. I love the science and empirically based focus of the program. It really helped me hone my critical thinking and research skills that I haven't even used since grad school. I also love the Academy's values. I love that there are resources and articles and videos and blogs that they curate to help students learn about all kinds of issues, including food insecurity, cultural appropriation in recipe development and food blogging. I devoured as much information and experience as I could in 14 weeks, and I loved every second. I'm proud to have received my certificate with honors. Best of all, I'm using all my newfound skills and knowledge into my latest signature one-on-one coaching program. In case anyone is considering doing this program, all I have to say is do it. Today is the day. I never get tired of hearing from our grads and learning about how they have applied what they learn in transformational ways in their own lives, in their own businesses, in their own homes. It's pretty remarkable. Now, if you are feeling inspired or maybe you listen to this episode and you're like, I want to know this information inside and out, I want to invite you to join me for the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. You can find out more information at culinarynutrition.com forward slash program. Now, where you really want to go, if you want the inside scoop on the entire curriculum and what you can expect, join me for my program information session. It's coming up soon. If you go to culinarynutrition.com forward slash info session, you can RSVP and save your seat for that. It is an incredible program and it might just be exactly what you've been looking for, in which case you should join us. Thanks for listening today and have a beautiful rest of your day. Bye for now.